0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How you doing, Matt? I'm fantastic, Lyndon. As always, seems kind of strong since we've only done one teaser episode, so for the second time, first time, I don't know. I feel like this is our first official podcast, and I'm super stoked. I guess we're in a gray area with that, but the more times that I say joined as always by, the stronger of a statement that it becomes. It's true. It's a statement of our inseparability as siblings and as gamers and hosts. Well, yeah. I mean, just from a familial standpoint, I literally can't get rid of you. I mean, like you could, but not in a legal sense. Wow.
1: <laughs> episode,
0: episode one took a dark turn right up front. <laughs> no, anyway, I am super excited to be here. We are going to talk about one of the best games of all time, and we are starting off with really, uh, in retrospect, what turned out to be a very good intro to said amazing video game. Matt, what's the amazing video game that we're, for anyone who didn't listen to our teaser episode, what are we starting off with? Oh my goodness, if you didn't listen to the teaser episode, stop right now, go listen to it, because you get an intro to Lyndon and I and our uh, unique form of banter. But, if you just are stubborn and refuse to do that, we are here today, and for the next 10 episodes, to talk about Ocarina of Time. 10 episodes, I think. Think uh, the way I have it split up into sections, I'm pretty sure it's going to be ten episodes. Might have to make it eleven, but but we'll see. Yeah, starting off with the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, I think that this is going to be a, a really great journey to go on, and I'm I'm very excited to talk about this game with you. This first section, I think, was certainly more engaging and interesting than I. Thought it was going to be just remembering back on this section of the game. uh, I mean, it's a stone cold classic and it's it's evident from the first minute that you play it. Absolutely. So I, I remember playing Ocarina of Time. It's actually, as I said in the teaser podcast, my earliest memory of video games is playing Ocarina of Time. I was five years old when it came out. We bought it, I'm pretty sure, on opening day. Um, not and not midnight, because I do remember our first midnight release of a video game was Majora's Mask and we got the gold uh, one. But anyway, my first memory of video games, uh, my clear memory anyway, is Ocarina of Time. And this excites me. So I have a fun little story that I want to tell everybody about the way that the the day one purchasing of this game in the Willoughby household. (laughs) Um, I think everyone's going to get a kick out of this. It's It's a great story. So. I was eight years old and I had played the legend of Zelda links awakening. It was the first video game that my parents ever bought for me. I'd played like Mario on a, on my uncle's super Nintendo before this point, but links awakening was the first video game that I ever owned myself on the game boy. And so I was so excited for Ocarina of time to come out. I was just, I was beside myself. Um, I had followed it in, in gaming magazines. I was too young to buy myself gaming magazines. So it's just whatever dad brought home. But, I could not wait for that game to come out. First 3D Zelda game. I was of the exact right age to just be completely enthralled by by that possibility. So that day rolls around. I know that we've got it on pre-order. I know Dad's going to go get it while I'm at school, and I'm going to get home that night, and I'm going to be able to play that game for the first time. That day at school, I got sent to the principal's office because I talked back to my teacher. <laughs> Yeah, and I I was just a sassy, moody little kid. Was? Yeah. <laughs> so I get sent to the principal's office in third grade, and I'm just crying my eyes out, just bawling. And the principal is just uh, he's like alarmed because I don't think he understood. He didn't think this was that big a deal, right? Like he sees kids for mouthing off, you know, every week. But um. So I'm in there just losing it. And he's like, Lyndon, what What is wrong? I said, I'm not going to get to play the new Zelda tonight because I got sent to the principal's office. (laughs) I was just – I was distraught. (laughs) Priorities firmly in line. Yes, I was absolutely distraught. So – Okay, I, you know, get home that night. And and I think dad must have taken pity on me or something because I definitely got to I got to play it that night. Well, you know, it's just because he wanted to see it get played. He was more interested in the game than you were, most likely. Looking back on it as a grown adult, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, let's let's be real. You're probably going to do the same thing with your kids (laughs) because because at some age it becomes like. Not entirely socially acceptable for you to play a game on opening day. But if you have a child who's of that age, they can. So dad's just living vicariously or, through or you. At least, or at least back in the day. I mean, we're all nerds now, right? But yeah, I mean, I think nowadays it's, you know, kind of a foregone conclusion that anyone who grew up playing video games is probably going to play video games until they die. Yeah, most definitely. So, or at least whatever replaces video games in the future. Future. Squidward meme going <laughs> right there. All right, some housekeeping for you guys. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks, we think. If it's not, if it's not on your podcast network of choice, please let us know. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk, to drop our hot takes, and just uh, banter back and forth a little bit. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly, greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, please head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's talk about what we played. This is the Sacred Realms Rundown and that is a six-part analysis of what we played and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Ocarina of Time Chapter 1, covering the game intro through beating the Deku Tree Dungeon. Part 1 will be the plot recap as read by Matt. I will refrain from reading to you in my bedtime story voice. I don't want to put anyone to sleep today. Maybe moving forward we might be a little creative with this point, but we're going to start off uh, with some good old solid monologuing. I do love a good monologue. Lay it on us. All right. So we open up with a fantastic opening sequence. The great Deku Tree speaking in his very uh, unique way, which actually was one, of my, was one of my notes, which we'll get into in a minute. The Shakespeare Deku Tree. Oh, yes, I love the Shakespeare Deku Tree, who's talking about uh, the changing of the world and the changing of uh, the the, the evil that is creeping into the world and how the the world needs someone to come in and save it. Then we flow right into uh the intro of Link and as he's sleeping in his bunk, uh restlessly sleeping in his bunk. Then something really interesting happens and I will talk about this a little bit later. The Deku tree sends Navi the fairy to find Link, the only kokiri in the forest without a fairy guide, which in the Kokiri is basically means you're not really an adult or I guess their version of an adult. Not a true Kokiri at any yeah, rate. Exactly. So he's an outcast, right? And the Deku tree selects Navi. Navi? Uh, so I've always said Navi, I believe. So I've been like told Navi. I've been told that the name actually is a shortening of the word navigation because she's kind yeah, of your guide. Yeah, makes but, sense. But I've always said Navi. Yeah. So I'm going to say Navi because that's just how I always said it. Navi and Navi goes and finds Link and and becomes his fairy. And per I think almost every Zelda game really in modern memory starts out this way with someone trying to wake Link up because that kid can sleep through apparently anything. Oh, well, that that I mean, that goes way back. Link's asleep at the start of most every game. But this is definitely his first notable companion. Yes, for sure. That's definitely his first fleshed out companion. and I connect with Link on a spiritual level with uh, how, how much he loves to sleep, so I, I can appreciate that. Don't we all? Uh, yes. So, Nevi wakes up Link from a terrible nightmare that he's had, where he sees this man on a horse uh, in black armor chasing the princess, which he probably has really no frame of reference for because he was raised in the forest, but it's this dream that disturbs him deeply. Nevi wakes him up and says, Link, we need to go see the Great Deku Tree, which is basically like you're getting summoned to see the Buddha or the Dalai Lama or... Or I don't know the Pope. Yeah, you know, when you think about it, um, the way that the Deku, the Deku, the status that the Deku Tree holds in the Kokiri Society is is pretty similar to that. The Deku Tree will henceforth be known as the Tree Pope. The Tree Pope. Ooh, that's a good one. I love Tree Pope. Um, you spend the first part of the game. You you walk out of your house and Sarai, your best friend, comes up and says, "Oh my goodness, you got a fairy! How amazing!" Then you know you got to go see the Great Deku Tree, and this jerk, Mido. Saria, by the way. Dang it. I thought it was Sarai. You put your eye in the wrong place. It's Saria. Saria. Okay, fine. Uh, Then this jerk, Mido, is like, bruh, I don't like you because Saria likes you and I like Saria. So you can't pass me to go see the Deku Tree without a sword and a shield. So then, you know, you spend your little introductory section uh, learning the movement controls, etc. You grab the Kokiri Sword. You go by the shield from the store, which is run by a kid who can't even see over the counter, uh, which I always find hilarious. And then uh, you go to the Deku Tree. Deku Tree uh, says, Link, dude, you're super cool. Um, You've never had a fairy. Now you do. And you are a child full of courage and spunk. Um, I've been cursed by uh, XYZ. There is a great evil growing. I need you to summon all of your courage and free me from this curse. Link says uh, in his non-vocal way. Sure, dude, let's do it. Enter into the Deku tree, go through the intro dungeon, which we'll talk about in depth in a minute and fight this nightmare fuel of a spider. I have I have a terror. I'm terrified of spiders, one of my biggest fears. So this dungeon like ramps up my um, arachnophobia to like 10. Fight the spider, kill the spider, exit the Deku tree. Deku tree is like, dude, you did really awesome. Let me tell you about how the world was created. (laughs) <laughs> really kind of a non sequitur in the, my opinion the hyrule creation myth yeah really kind of a non sequitur but it's really good world building like at the end of the day oh it's great it offers no commentary whatsoever on uh metaphorical days versus an actual six day period okay we're getting a little too deep there let's but not it's, uh... <laughs> but it's it's cer- it certainly is a harsh rebuke of the theory of evolution hey listen hey editing mike here just a quick note this podcast does believe in science and we're just joshing y'all you're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> okay, keep, keep going. I'm sorry. So we, we have our non sequitur of let me tell you how the world was created. Um, and the Deku Tree lays out the Hyrule creation myth from the, the three goddesses who created the world from its uh, from its foundation. Din, Nehru, and Faror, who create, uh, in turn, the foundations of the world- uh, Nehru separates the world into its... Um, she, she gives us the spirit of law. Yeah. So it separates the sky from the earth, from the sea, cre- everything in its place. And then Pharaoh comes through with her enriched spirit and populates the land with life. Yep. And the, the goddesses, their work done and they're happy with everything, uh, just leave our world. And the point at which they exit our realm creates the Triforce um, and they depart back into their sacred realm. You actually uh, pronounced all their names correctly as well. Yeah. Go me. Yay. Um, So all of this to say, and, and like, it seems like a non sequitur, but all of this to say that uh, the Deku tree then tells Link that he knows Link senses the growing evil that is within um, Hyrule and And he says, I know your dreams have been troubled and you see the man in black who um, who has been stalking your dreams. This man is is the one who cursed me and is relentlessly seeking the Triforce within the sacred realm so that he can attain ultimate power and rule the world. Uh, You have to stop him, which is a hell of a thing to say to a seven year old kid. Mm hmm. So that is where we end our journey with Link, because the Deku Tree then says, I'm going to die. Even though you saved me, you didn't really. It was too late, but uh, well done. Here's this cool gem. Uh, Take it and see ya. Yeah, uh, RIP to a real one. The Deku Tree, who seemed like a a really nice tree person. He was a very nice tree person. The tree pope, the OG tree pope. So he gives you the Kokiri's Emerald, which he describes as one of the three uh, sacred gems. So one of the three sacred gems. What do they actually call them in the game? It's not sacred gems. It's the spiritual stones. Yeah, it's that's what it is. Yes. One of the three spiritual stones is the Kokiri's Emerald. And he tells you to go to Hyrule Castle and meet the Princess, Princess of, of Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Which I just want to know, is that is she the Princess of Destiny 1 or 2? And is she a Titan, Warlock, or Hunter main? So she would definitely be Destiny 1 and also a Warlock main. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, 100%. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt going to get longer or shorter uh, depending on the week. I actually remember I don't know. I have this recollection of the Zelda games being not generally too heavy on plot Mm -hmm. and just kind of being very bullet pointy stuff that takes you from one point to the next and that's still true. But that being said there was still enough going on in just this first hour long section of the game to you know that there's some lore happening here. No, The the story dump like, it's actually pretty well done when you, like, look at, at, at it as a whole. So, not only... Hold on, hold on. Matt's getting ahead of himself. Oh, goodness. Man. I have not I have not yet uh, announced our our segue into part two of the Sacred Realms rundown, which is our takes. Matt sounded like he was about to drop a take. I was about to drop a take. And he couldn't do that until I announced yeah. our entry into that section. The so, official segue must happen first. Cool. Matt, uh, this is where we drop our takes, so please... Ah, yes. Do do I get to tell the people what I feel now? You do. Yes. Okay. So, I I think that the story dump in this part of the game is actually done very well. Um, Story dumps can sometimes be ham-fisted or campy or just like, kind of, let me, can I skip this cutscene as fast as I possibly can? I'm spamming A, blah, 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 blah. Um, The style and delivery that they take um, with the Deku Tree being this ancient like beyond reckoning ancient being and the style that he speaks actually lends some gravitas to everything that he's telling you mm-hmm. and i think it it adds some some weight to oh like this is actually some real um stuff that's going on right now um he's been around for eons and he's saying this is like the most malevolent presence i've ever felt in in my eternity as a guardian of the forest um So, you know, probably a pretty big deal at that point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think one of the great strengths of plot in Zelda games generally, but in this one for sure, is that it tends to ride this line very well of keeping things kind of archetypal, uh, like not being too detailed. Like this is not like a the most convoluted lore that Mm -hmm. you're going to find in a video game. It Mm -hmm. really isn't. But it's just enough to kind of get you invested and to drive you forward. Because the thing that keeps you coming back is obviously the mechanics, the puzzle solving, whatever. But it gives you just enough of a framework to kind of keep you interested. For sure. Like, you're not going to get any um, My Name is Bife videos out of uh, the Zelda lore. And for those of you who don't know, he's a Destiny content creator who reads through Destiny's incredibly expansive and in-depth lore. But you're not going to get that with Zelda. What you are going to get is is something that is simple yet motivating um, that you can easily comprehend. Like within that, I don't know, let's call it two and a half minute spiel that the the Deku tree does. You're like, okay, I get it. Sacred triangles give you ultimate power. Bad dude wants them. Yep. Easy enough. Boom. Who, who can't grasp that? Yeah. Okay, so I have a few points I want to run through just real quick. Um, not related specifically to the plot, but just general points kind of as I, as I started playing through this game again. And and I actually should just kind of as a disclaimer, I've played Ocarina of Time quite a few times. And but as I said on the teaser episode, um, this is one of the things that I'm the most excited about in this whole process is analyzing critically things that I have experienced countless times before. So gonna just gonna go down that road real quick. Uh, loading into the game, you start up, you get the title screen, the intro music, like the the that what is it called the main theme of the game is bomb oh my gosh It is so great. It sets such an immediately different tone for this game versus what people would have heard from Zelda games previous, which is that classic, you know, bum 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 ba bum ba Yeah, like it, it's got a very different tone. Oh yeah, from that, and it it establishes Ocarina certainly as a more mature feeling game, mm-hmm. not in like a dark way, but just something that's that's it's got some more depth. It's to got it. some mood, yeah. you know. Maybe yeah. To to quote the amazing Keanu Reeves. The uh, intro title music is breathtaking. <laughs> no, you're breathtaking. Oh, thank you. So I do think it's funny. It spoils one of the big story beats of the game immediately with with adult Link. Yeah. Writing Epona. That's true. I actually never thought about that until you just now said it. But you're totally right. Like you start the game as young Link, but the title screen has adult Link. Like, what? Well, yeah, sure. And I think let's not kid ourselves. Adult Link was a major part of the marketing of this game. So, oh, see, I don't remember any of that. I don't think that people were surprised to see Adult Link in the intro. And this is the '90s. This is this is back when people knew that, like Arnold was a good Terminator before they went and saw Terminator Two. Like, oh, that it was disappointing. Yeah, I know, right? Like. Uh, no no one could find that out the way that they were supposed to. But it, so it's a similar thing here. Adult Link was all over the marketing for this game. And so that's why he's in here. I do still think that it's kind of interesting, right? Like you don't turn you, like you don't transition into the Adult Link phase of the game until about a third of the way through so um definitely kind of front loading that and then you get into the game and you're very clearly not adult link and you mm-hmm. don't have a horse but seeing, <laughs> no horse, yeah not. but seeing link riding epona in that intro screen was so hype in 1998 mm. uh because mm-hmm. there, i mean there was there was no experience like that in 16-bit 8-bit you know 2d gaming up until that point it was just it was cool the closest you probably got was if you got all 64 stars in mario or 100 and what was how many stars in mario 64 100 and something 120 120 if you got all 120 stars you got yoshi you could ride around on yoshi no you couldn't no you couldn't ride around on yoshi he's just up there and he gives you he gives you like infinite lives or whatever but you couldn't ride him so does that probably tell you and all of our listeners that i've never gotten 120 stars in mario 64 i've done that i know you have you're (laughs) a dork so one of the things that actually i want to call out specifically so Lyndon and i are going to play ocarina of time on the 3ds which is the most updated version that we have we both have nintendo 64s and could play it on the 64 but finding a tv that works with a Nintendo 64 is really hard these days. So one of the things I want to call out specifically about the 3DS, if you let that title sequence play, you know, all the way through its its initial loop, it actually gives you a snippet of one of the dungeons that you're going to like go into so the first one that played for me was in the spirit temple and with the the twin sisters mm-hmm. uh casting their spell on um, that's yeah the that's, gerudo yeah that's the one that i got to and i i can't remember if that was in the original i, th- I don't remember it being in the original yeah but again talking i was about, talking years. about spoilers yeah. that's like the tail end of I the know. game. i was like five years old at the time so maybe it was there but i as i was sitting there writing down my notes about you know what the title sequence itself was like Mm -hmm. what I wanted to say about it. Um, I was able to get through like two or three of those little snippet cutscenes. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. So going back to what Matt was saying about, you know, we're, we're playing this on the three DS, not the N64. One of the things that I think a neat trick that this game pulls off when you're playing it on the three DS version is that you load in. And especially if you played the N64 version back in the day, This feels immediately familiar. Mm -hmm. It feels like a warm blanket of nostalgia. It's great. Mm -hmm. You're playing it, and you're like, oh, man, this is exactly what it – like, this is is Mm -hmm. so faithful to what it looked like back in the day. And then you go and you look at screenshots of what it actually looked like back in the day, (laughs) and it looks so much better. But it's this really neat trick that the developers pulled off where they managed to update the art style. In such a comprehensive yet subtle way, to where it impacts the way that the game feels, not not a bit, not at all. So you know, even from the 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 character select or the slave slot selection screen, yeah. the music, the the way that the um, the fairy fountain music is playing, and that whole um, thing that's going on on the top screen, not on the the, the select screen. Well, yeah. So there's that all, all is just. Almost exactly the same, but just crisper. Sure, yeah. But there's a really cool thing they do on that screen in the 3DS version where they have this this uh, detail model of Link. That's just spinning. That's like rotating yeah. above there. And it's just kind of a mission statement before yeah. you even load in the game. And it just sort of says, hey, uh, this ain't. Your daddy's ocarina of time. I don't, I don't know. know, like, but it's great and I love it. It's basically like what, so like it looks like the figure that they had in Super Smash Bros. Sixty Four. You remember those, yeah? And but it's yeah. obviously like fully updated with awesome graphics and stuff, and it's just kind of rotating. Yeah, and sure, it's super but, cool. Yeah, but it's just kind of saying right off the bat. Hey, we've we've ramped some things up, so I and thought that was cool. That's, of course, not including if you've beaten the game before and it gives you the option to go between regular and Master Quest, which honestly, I almost considered playing it on Master Quest. But yeah, I don't think we could do this for now. I don't can't. think we could do that for this first round of episodes. No. But hey, we'll put that in the maybe a bonus episode. Oh, that would be bank. a fun bonus episode. Yeah, just so anyway, we'll get back to that later. For sure. Um, So moving past the intro section. Before we do that, Uh, if you don't keep your character name as Link, I I, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but (laughs) stop that. I don't know. I I would never make that decision for myself, but I always get a chuckle out of – like, there's this guy on social media. I'm in a few Zelda fan groups, and he always names his Link my dude so yeah okay he's, I have seen those So he, so, those he, are so funny yeah so he's talking to the Deku Tree and the Deku Tree's like welcome my dude <laughs> <laughs> And it reminds me of my roommate Colin <laughs> oh my god that is something Colin would say <laughs> and I would never make that decision for myself but I respect that there are people in the world who um who are making that leap for the rest of us so that we can get some chuckles out of it they do things for the memes and we appreciate things. the memes it's all about the memes it's all about the memes <laughs> so moving into the actual so you were saying earlier you were talking about the intro cinematic with uh the Deku Tree, and he's giving kind of a uh, an exposition dump. And that to, somber music to is Navi, just tone and setting. The oh. music is great. Oh. The, the music in this game, and honestly, the Zelda series as a whole. I, I feel like we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how much we love the music. There's a reason that entire symphonies have been adapted based on the Zelda various Zelda soundtracks because the music is just fantastic. I believe Koji Kondo, the original composer, was still doing the the musical work on this game. I think he did this one and Majora's, but I think Majora's might've been his last. That sounds like something that we need to check, check on. Um, But I'm pretty sure Koji Kondo did the, uh, all the composition for Ocarina of Time. And it is just such an all time great game score. The things that they were able to do with that, with, with the, the digital instruments, you know, it wasn't even, obviously nothing was orchestrated for a long time, but They just took it to such an incredible place. It has such a mood. The music gives you such a a sense of place in that world, and it's it's really great. So Matthew actually did just look this up, and Ocarina of Time was Koji Kondo's last Zelda game that he was the composer on. That he worked alone on, for for sure. He was involved in some other ones, but this was the last one that he worked alone on. (laughs) More research is warranted. Which we will do. Yes, definitely. Okay. But anyway, great music. Um, I think that they had a great use of, the, of, of 3D space, which was a, a first for the Zelda series, in the whole Navi flyover where she leaves the Deku Tree's Grove and then she's, you know, going, she's looking for you – yeah, know, she's flying around Kokiri Forest. She's kind of establishing that space. Uh, i do wonder does she not know where link lives because there's only like three houses in this village yeah i mean there's like maybe five and she like stops on her way and says hi to like four different people um also i want to say a note about this um kind of flyby <laughs> She's, hello it, 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 hello it had to have been like really breathtaking in a game in the 90s to see this kind of um this kind of camera work and and um, animation. I don't want to downplay it because you are right. However, Mario 64 kind of kicked off the 3d Nintendo revolution with a very similar thing where Mm -hmm. you had the, where you had, um, like Lakitu, the cameraman. Yeah. 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 He comes in on his cloud with his little camera and Mario comes out the pipe. You get the sweep around the castle. So it had been done before, but I will say that this world has much more character initially Mm. than that did. I mean, um, Princess Peach's castle exterior was a pretty empty place, yeah. except for Mario. And you've got characters and you've got particle effects in the air and, and other fairies floating around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really is fantastic. Very well done. And, you know, speaking again of music, that cookery forest theme is just, you know, I, I feel like this game is going to be one long succession of me walking into. A place and going, ah, yeah, and just letting that musical nostalgia just wash over you. I mean, I could, I could sing all these songs in, in my sleep. I have a big all in bold note right here. It says Kokiri Forest Theme for the win. Just ah. It's so good. It's excellent. And actually, as we go forward into other games, um, (laughs) it's a theme that gets used again very subtly in a few other Zelda games. And I'll try to call that out whenever we get to it. That's going to be way down the road. But it's just fun. Um, Zelda does have a very interesting musical lineage with a lot of repeating themes and motifs. Mm -hmm. But also, I think Ocarina of Time is very notable in that it does away. With a lot of the classic Zelda tunes from like you, you do not hear the classic Zelda theme anywhere in this game. It's, It's not there. Nope. And also every area, every main area really of the overworld of Hyrule has its own theme and every dungeon has a sub theme of that theme. Yeah, and and there are some there are some musical motifs that are carried forward. We're not going to talk about this too much now. We'll get to it when we get to those specific areas, but um definitely the strong musical heritage of the Legend of Zelda is very evident just from from go here. Yep. Let's no see what else what else do I have? Okay. So a few other random bits and bobs over on my end. Um I would just like everyone to know that I also keep two giant perpetually rolling boulders in the cave where my ancestral sword (laughs) is hidden. (laughs) That's good to know when I need to steal it next time. I'll uh, I'll remember that. Yeah, exactly. So those are notable as the only two things in this initial part of Kokiri Forest that can actually hurt you. And to that end, I just have a question. Why are there so many hearts laying around this place? Like what did what did the developers of the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time think you were going to need to use those for in Kokiri Forest? I mean, are you going to get are you going to get run over the by the boulder like six consecutive times before you get to the Kokiri sword, and then are you going to run in by the Deku Babas and just like literally run into a stationary target? I mean, I'm not going to say that it hasn't happened, but it doesn't sound I, likely. I mean, but you wouldn't need twenty hearts for that. I don't know. That's that's fair. Anyway, that's just a, a fun little observation. Very fun, yes. That I made. Matt, I want to get your opinion, because you did kind of go out of your way in this early section to undergo some of the movement and combat tutorials, mm-hmm. which obviously, having played a lot of 3D Zelda games, we're both – that's kind of just hand in glove at this point. Right. We're very familiar with the whole – z targeting even though it's not Mm -hmm. it's not tethered to the z button anymore but i'm always going to call it that uh we're very familiar with z targeting in that mode of combat which even to some more complex extent breath of the wild still uses i mean it's yeah yeah and and so do many 3d action games Mm -hmm. this was this was a revolutionary mechanic uh what you know how do you feel about it kind of going through the tutorials and how do you feel that those movement and combat mechanics hold up so yeah You're absolutely right. I I went out of my way this time to kind of try to experience this game from the lens of someone who may not have experienced it uh, recently or ever. Um, And the 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 mechanics themselves actually are pretty fluid. Um, The intro to them is fairly well done, if a little hard to find. Um, Like you're going through this thing. You have when you come down and Saria says like, oh, you need to go to the Deku tree. I was, like if you have never played the game you're like where the actual eh, heck is that um where do i go so you know trying to find that out you know navy then jumps in after five minutes i'm and sorry says, were you about to drop a swear i was not uh, Yes, i was i was gonna have to bleep you and i know i i averted it so we don't have to use the, our fun little uh, uh audio the, 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 the magic of audio editing <laughs> exactly so um then Neva jumps in after five ish minutes of wandering around aimlessly and says, hey, listen, which is going to get. Oh, yeah. She's bugging you within yeah. two seconds of leaving your house. Yeah, no doubt. Um, So then you go over there. But even when you go talk to Mido, who's just a jerk, I don't like Mido, that um, doesn't really help you understand what you're supposed to be doing. Um, then you have to go find where the kokori sword is, which good luck if you don't know where that is. Uh, and then you see all these signs that are written in Hylian and you're you, okay. You interact with some of them. And then once you interact with them, it's fairly like fine. And one thing I didn't know, uh, is that if you do what the signs tell you to do, you get five rupees, which is kind of cool, which kind of goes towards your whole, getting the Deku shield faster. Indeed. So then you walk around and then you talk to this kid who's standing by the rocks and like. Doing some boxing moves. And you're like, dude, what is wrong with you? And then he tells you like, oh, this is how you jump around and backflip. Super useful stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of a little out of the way, maybe. Although I don't know how they could have done it differently without being just super in your face about it. The answer is that back in the day, they had this, but also this beautiful thing called a game manual, which came with every game, didn't it? Yes. So Ah, it's actually, it's actually, yeah. If you haven't ever done this before, go on Google and just Google Ocarina of time game manual. Do that for any of the older Zelda games, because those pack in manuals that came in the box, it's the kind of thing that you don't see done with games anymore, but they have really cool illustrations that kind of walk you through the mechanics of each game. And Ocarina of Time specifically has some really neat ones where it shows Link jumping, attacking, throwing bombs, just kind of walking mm-hmm. you through how to control Link in a 3D space where just, you know, swing sword, you know, a, a press A to swing sword won't cut it. Yeah, know? exactly. And, um, you know, I always remember more vividly game tutorials being like Halo Combat Evolved, where literally you have like a five-minute section of the game that is entirely dedicated to here's how you look up and down. Here's how you move side to side. Here's how you crouch. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Zelda not having any of that. And this comes into play a little bit later in the dungeon, which we'll talk about, but like it doesn't... Even when you get the sword and the shield... You can crouch. I know you can, but it doesn't tell you how to do that. Oh, gotcha, right. So, um, you know, it comes down to... Uh, it teaches you how to swing your sword in the horizontal, vertical, jump, attack, stab yeah. mechanics if you read all the signs, but it never tells you really how to use the shield. Well, this, but some of the, some of this. Okay, so that's fair, I think. Some of this is also handled via on screen prompts too. That's like the, true. the little, the UI that the HUD will kind of say, like, oh, like if you come up next to the hole in the wall where you have to crawl through to get to the, yeah, to the cookery sword, it'll tell you push this button to crouch or whatever. right. Yeah. So. so that's that's true. Um and again, we'll get into some of the dungeon stuff a little bit later, but I find that particular when you use A for all actions mm-hmm. can be sometimes a little clunky. Yeah, definitely a convention of 3D action RPGs of of ages past that you don't see really at all anymore for sure. in in video gaming. For, you know, I mean we have more buttons on controllers now. And the Nintendo 64 controller was uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I love it, but it's weird. I don't know who thought that that was a ergonomic or like intuitive design, Well, I, mean, I want to great, talk to that but, person. You know, like how many times did you ever use the D pad on that thing? I feel mm, like literally never, I feel like they had it on there just because they felt like they needed to, cause it was a Nintendo controller. <laughs> okay. So we need to, we need to move on here in just a second, but I just have two more quick things. So I, I personally feel that the whole combat, you know, Z targeting all that, like I said, it's a, oh, it, it's, it's a revolutionary innovation in, in in game combat and i think that it's stuck around for a very long time for a very good reason Mm -hmm. um i think uh what i see i have two more points here uh seeing arrows available in the store but not having a bow is Uh, is painful it is i just i mean you see that and you just want you want more better things you want the fairy bow you do just want it um then moving forward towards the dungeon i think that there's an excellent sense of scale In this game and in the Deku trees grove, I think is where that's kind of the most apparent. It's a, it's a massive space. Like you just have this sense of awe looking up at the Deku tree. Um, he's giant, he's gigantic. Yeah, for sure. So when you walk into the Deku tree and you see this massive dungeon, it's not as off-putting, right? So it, like, if, if the Deku tree was the size of your normal cedar, right, you, you walk in and you've got like six stories and, you know, a, a spider lair on, under the <laughs> roots, you're probably like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, what? But it does when you look at, at the Deku tree. yeah, sure it feels about right. So this feels like a good uh, time to transition into part three, which we call the dungeon map, where we analyze this week's section... Of dungeon. Or sorry, where we analyzed this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Um I think that the Deku Tree interior as a dungeon just has a really cool mood. Uh, there's something about being in 3D space where they're able to convey a vibe to mm-hmm. to a dungeon that wasn't really possible on the super Nintendo or the NES or whatever. Right. Um, 16 bit, eight bit graphics will only carry you so far, but you step in here and it's got this kind of, this kind of soft woody lighting. The music is very subdued. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it certainly has a far less in your face dungeon musical theme than past Zelda games. link to the past had, had some, some pretty banger ones, but, um, even in future Zelda games, thinking about like Majora's Mask and stuff like that, like Stone Tower Temple. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like like an actual theme. And this music is is much more atmospheric. Yeah. The ambiance is kind of the, the way that I phrased it in my own notes was the ambiance is subtly spooky. Right, so not only do you have the mood lighting, um, yeah. which is great, and the dark wood tones, which is perfect in any home. In mm-hmm. case you wanted to know, what's not perfect in your home is the gigantic spider webs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I do think that that spider web, the giant one that you see on the floor as soon as you walk in, is is nice. It's immediately attention grabbing. Yep, eye catching. Yeah, you you you're immediately trying to figure out what do I do with this thing? How do I get past this? I can look down, and clearly there's stuff down there. Um, but but what's my way forward? I think that's mm-hmm. that's a great piece of dungeon design. The Deku Tree before we come into the dungeon is telling us all about how you know he's cursed and he's dying. And I just want to say uh, he's right. He's absolutely one hundred percent cursed. With metal doors that are somehow a part of his body. On yeah, the that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know what's going on with that tree circulatory system, but metal inside of a tree—probably not a good sign. Yeah, at least in like when you get to Jabu Jabu's belly later, they have like these weird sphincter-looking Ooh, doors. Yeah, those that, are gross. They're nasty, but at least they're thematically appropriate. Also, for- the the Deku Tree, the rolling spikes in his like. And in, in the water portion of it, like, dude. Well, some some things should some, some things we just accept. You and, should and move on. Probably from. see a doctor. Yeah. So anyway, I probably shouldn't have gotten so a tree so worked doctor up about, a tree doctor. Yeah, probably shouldn't have gotten so worked up about this. But anyway, <laughs> just something fair. that stood out. I so, was more concerned about the spider webs personally. Yeah, right. So we move through the Deku tree. Um, we get we come across our first major dungeon item of the game which is the slingshot which is uh no fairy bow but it'll it'll do for now Eh, i guess for now it's it's i i like the motion aiming that you do with the slingshot in the 3d version i i vibe with it i hate the 3ds gyro controls do you not use the gyro controls for the bow and arrow in breath of the wild no no see i I, absolutely not i absolutely do no i i hate gyro controls on handheld devices um the reason that i vibe with skyward swords motion controls is because i i I have two separate entities that i'm holding which i can direct independently Mm -hmm. um when i'm holding a 3ds and i'm going like all over the place which i know our listeners can't see me doing it's kind of comical but like it's just not vibing with me. I don't like it. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Well, Nintendo in their infinite wisdom gave us the option to toggle these things on and off, which I didn't learn until after I had already completed the dungeon and went and Googled how to turn off these gyro controls, Oof, man. I, I I apologize for the suffering that the slingshot gyro controls, but she's a little rough. Matthew suffered so that you could have this content. Indeed. Anything for the content. (laughs) So we get the slingshot. We move forward into uh, further into the dungeon. We get some good intros into the mechanic of timed switches and jumping puzzles. Mm. Um, you know, you step on that that golden switch, and then you get that tone, and you, you know it just trains you uh, to expect something that you need to work to no longer work once that uh, once that is over. Um, we find our first gold Sculptula token, which. Two. Well, so, Actually, yeah, but I think there's three. Well, yeah, there are three in the dungeon, but we find our first one in the upper level of the dungeon. And I just want to say that Zelda games love introducing item economies early game with no context whatsoever. Yeah, whatsoever. What like, am I doing with this golden sculpture? Why is it glowing? Why is it sitting there on the floor? I don't understand, but I'm going to pick it up because it's cool. But that's but it like implies it implies depth to the game, yeah. right? And like, then dopamine rush, Da-na-na-na. right? Yeah, exactly. That nice little, uh, that nice little tune that just—it's a—it's an instant feel good. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Yeah. So, okay, we get to the top level of the Deku Tree, and we're back to how do I get through this darn spider web on the floor? And here's where they do something really cool that is not done again anywhere else. In this game, or or I believe in Majora's Mask, where you jump off a high enough ledge and your momentum breaks the spider web. Uh, you're right. I I can't personally think of one. If you're a listener and you're subscribed to our Patreon, and we're wrong, send us an email and tell us where that is because I can't think of one. Yeah, it, which is so interesting to me because it's such. It's such a unique thing that you could only do in a 3d game and this with game was, a decent physics engine sure well and it may not be physics based I'm sure it was more of like a I'm sure it had a much more simple coding well you maybe. know trigger than I that I know nothing but about like, game development I so. mean nor do I it, yeah it really it really needs to be said that Matthew and I are not game developers we have no nope. idea what we're talking about and we're just really shooting in the dark here so the most complex thing I've ever coded is a little Lego robot. That went in a circle. And I've never coded anything. Please continue. So you jump off this high ledge. You break through the spider web in the floor. It's really cool. It's just if this game is trying to immediately establish the viability of Zelda in a 3D format versus top down, this is a great early win Uh, towards that mission statement absolutely yeah yeah it it immediately separates you from the top-down zelda and and puts you into this like this is a new kind of zelda this is a whole new experience for me yeah and so it's great so you fall through the spider web now you're in the creepy root uh you know underground of i mean that's got to be where his roots are right we're not assume okay cool so we're we're down in the basement now um we find two more gold sculpture tokens and this is one of those areas where we have some water based puzzles where link has to swim around a bit and we become so thankful that this link can swim from the get-go and does not require flippers otherwise Ugh. he just literally drowns yes uh <laughs> water is no longer your mortal enemy yeah so that's that's all that's all great um, we have a few classic staples of Zelda dungeon design down here, including bombable walls, where we don't yet have bombs. Wait, there's a bombable wall in there? Yeah, there's another Gold sculpture behind there, I think. Ah, Ted Gummet. Yeah. So how did I not know this? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, but but overall, all in all, it's a series of relatively simple puzzles. That nevertheless introduce you to the design language of mm-hmm. Zelda or of Ocarina of Time puzzle solving. Things like using your slingshot to shoot the eye switch blocks that open a door. Or to drop the ladder from the room you get the slingshot in, you turn around and you say, How the heck am I gonna get up that? Oh look, there's a ladder yep. in the in the spider webs. Yep. Shoot it with my slingshot. Uh, block moving puzzles, mm-hmm. um, using your using your Deku sticks to burn spider webs. And that's so that's what I was talking about earlier, where it doesn't teach you how to crouch, right? It without so, like, it teaches you how to use your shield. Oh, that's actually a great point. So, like, I remember when I was a kid, there were two, like, I was five years old when Ocarina of Time came out. So, like, you know, still very young and didn't have all the critical thinking skills developed. Um, I remember being stuck in that entryway part for, like, an hour with my slingshot. And I'm sitting there, like, slingshotting mm-hmm. the the bottom, the the giant spiderweb on the floor. And it's obviously doing nothing. Took I think you had to come and tell me to, like, jump off the thing. Well, so, yeah, there's... I forget how I learned. I, I remember as a child having a hard time with this too because you have to light the stick on fire then you have to crouch on the no, no, spider No, this web. is the first one the, in, the, in the very entry level room where oh, you jump down. Oh, so okay. I remember being stuck there yeah. for like an hour yeah. and then when you're down below the rest of that's not too terribly difficult you know, going around. the mm. I remember maybe having some difficulty with the diving and getting the timing right and making sure I was right on top of the button blah, blah, blah. Sure. But when, whenever you have to go get the day stick on fire climb up the block block that you just push down and then you're just standing on top of the spider web going what in the world am I going to do here mm-hmm. like it never tells you crouch by using the shield button yeah. even if you don't have the shield yeah or if you <laughs> or if you're not in front of an area where the game senses contextually that you should be crouching to like crawl through a space right. or something yeah so yeah definitely true not the most intuitive thing in the world but um somehow we all Got there on our own. Eventually. So, uh, okay. So you burn through that last spider web. I just want to say people who let their Deku sticks burn out, are rank amateurs. Absolutely. You need to save those Deku sticks for some reason that no one knows but you need to have them. Yeah, you you use those like four other times in the whole game but by God you gotta save them all. Absolutely. Okay. So we fall down into the lower lower basement where we meet our, our Deku scrub brothers. Are we in the root ball now? We are, sure, yes. I don't know tree anatomy but, <laughs> but why not? So uh, we get down to the 23 is number one Deku scrubs that you have to beat in a certain order to get to Goma and I just wanna know how did they decide on that system also the deku scrub that gives you the code against his own brothers is a snitch and snitches get stitches The narc god he's <laughs> the worst so, okay okay so a dubious security system at best <laughs> at best but okay so we get past those guys we get to goma who looks terrifying and is a total pushover. Absolutely. So uh, my my first note here is going to go. Uh, also, actually, before we get to that, I, I have to admit, because this is content and our listeners need something to laugh about, it took me three different tries to get the sequence right on the Deku Brothers, even though I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nice. sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. We'll forgive you this. So uh, my first note here on Queen Goma is spiders, gross, God, I hate this boss. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like visually. Gross. Um, As you said, total pushover, super easy boss fight. I made myself draw this boss fight out to see all of her mechanics. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the mechanic where she drops her little spiderlings on you is more annoying than she is. Oh, yeah, and I have to have to clarify, I absolutely wasted Goma before she even had a chance to do that. I just kind of, like, rolled right through it. Yeah, so. no, I was like, ah, we should probably get some content on this first episode. It's a short section anyway. <laughs> Maybe we should have something to talk about for the boss fight. So, you're welcome. Um, so... I let her kind of do her thing, which really involved me just kind of running around in circles for a while, letting her drop spiderlings on me Mm -hmm. after she did that. And then I let her hit me one time with her charge tech just to see how much damage it would do. It's like one heart. Yeah. Like eh, whatever. So then killed her, move on, grab my little heart piece and warp on out of uh, the Deku trees bowels. Yeah. Okay. So, and I just want to say real quick about that. I don't think I said this at the top of the show, but, There are certain specific ways that I play Zelda games that I've beaten a lot before, just to add some challenge to this whole thing. I am doing this run-through of Ocarina of Time no. as, as a three-heart run. Ugh, why I do am, you have to show off? Because it's so fun. I'm going to try and make it a three-heart, no-death run, and I'm going to be very honest with yeah. everybody about whether I die or not. I've tried doing this before, and I usually get punked by, um by like, a Stalfos later in the game. That happens. Because they're tough. But yeah. um anyway, so yeah, going to try and do a three-heart, no-death run. And the hardest part of doing a three- Heart run is not picking up the darn heart after you kill the boss. <laughs> like it's, it's just muscle memory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's laying right there, and I'm always like, "Oh, gonna go get the da, 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 da. can't do it, can't do it." Yeah. Okay, fine then. I guess I'll have to do a 100 completionist playthrough just to equally show off. So what? All the gold sculpture tokens and all the heart pieces and <laughs> oh, gross. Well, I mean, if yes. you're gonna do that, then Ocarina of Time is like it's an, it's a better one to do that with. There's not yeah, a ton. That's true. It's not. I mean, obviously, we'll do it with Majora's Mask just because we need the Fierce deity mask, but that's about the only other one. Well, well, yeah, that's just the correct way to play that game, obviously. Okay, so we've beat Goma. We're getting warped outside to get our our info dump from the Deku Tree, and that concludes uh, the dungeon map, where we kind of go back over the dungeon uh, a little, you know, analyzing mechanics, music, and all that other fun stuff. Matt, do you uh, do you want to tie up our section on the Deku Tree? With just a quick thought. Yeah, so I think the Deku Tree really is a, a fantastic um, quintessential beginner's dungeon. It introduces you to a lot of the mechanics that you're going to be using later on in the game, specifically time uh, or boss mechanics. Um, hit the boss on the eye, smack it three times with your sword, rinse and repeat. Timeless formula for Zelda um, that will be repeated many times throughout the rest of the game. Yep, couldn't agree more. Part four of the Sacred Realms rundown is let's talk side quests. However, we're in the very beginning of the game, and we don't have any interesting side quests to really talk about at the moment. So I I cut Saria's grass for her. Okay. Well, I guess that counts. Well, the dude is over there trying to pull the grass because Mido told him to because Mido likes Saria, and apparently Mido doesn't do his own dirty work, so. (laughs) I don't know if that is a side quest so much as just you being a good person. Okay, well, I'll take that. Okay, that's cool. Uh, (laughs) Part four of the Sacred Realms rundown is going to be the one that we kind of filter in and out as we encounter interesting side quests. For sure. So, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Part five, Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross, and I'm just going to lead with mine. It's going to be, of course, the great Mido, (sighs) and I want to know what the heck Mido did to to where he feels comfortable labeling himself the great Mido. <laughs> another 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 sub point that I have under this is I stole Mido's life savings because he sucks. Oh, he does suck. Yeah, I went into his house and just opened all his chests and took all his rupees. Oh, so. I need to do that. Yeah, Good call. Uh, you know, I generally I have difficulty being the bad guy in video games. Um, I always play Paragon on Mass Effect. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic. I I can never just go true Sith. You but only played uh, it once regardless <laughs> uh i had no compunction whatsoever about stealing every every cent that Mido has in this world it almost pays for the daycare shield it's <laughs> yeah, it pretty does. great it <laughs> does well you know he's he's helping he's helping uh restore the powers of good into the world of high so yeah unwillingly great. yeah love Mido. so he he was my big character focus he's just got a lot of personality if nothing else uh definitely nothing else but mine was uh saria i think uh, saria is a uh, Obviously, an easy one, which we will talk about it in depth later in our um, rundown of Ocarina of Time. But um, just the friendly face, the, the first person to really greet you after you get your fairy and you become a true Kokiri. I, I think Saria um, starts out as one of like the... The characters to invest in a little bit and mm-hmm. then we'll get in on our next playthrough when we leave the Kokiri Forest and Saria is the only one that sees you off. Like uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes in there that I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. And I, just as an honorable mention, I do want to mention Navi because. Oh, yeah. It, it will develop more of our relationship with her later, but I do think she makes a good first impression there's some, there's some good character groundwork being laid there. Um, in addition to some staples of like the, the meme ability of Navi, right? Like <laughs> I, I chuckled to myself when the Deku tree was, w- w- we're about to go in and he's all like, listen well to her words of wisdom. And I was like, like yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like the other thing that I love about characterization in Ocarina of Time, that the Deku tree's death scene was honestly a little bit moving. Like, not incredibly, like, you know, no tears in your eyes or anything, but you, you feel the sense of, like, sadness that's there. And it's really punctuated by, you know, Link just leaves the grove, but then Navi starts leaving and then turns back and and says her goodbye, lingers, mm-hmm. and then leaves. And you're like, okay, there's it, actually some real depth here. It's the kind of thing that... It tugs on your heartstrings in a way that they attempted to do in a few ways in the in the top-down games that preceded this one. Certainly Link's Awakening had moments mm-hmm. that that really kind of tra- tried to make you feel something uh that I think were very effective, even in that very limited, no-color, 8-bit Game Boy format. But there's something about the 3D rendering of these characters having a more realistic. Space to work in that helps those beats land a bit more. And it goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago, which is the somewhat more mature uh, vibe that Ocarina of Time is trying to create around its story. It's, you know, it's not dark. It's not depressing, but it is nuanced I guess and and that's not the last time that we'll hit that in this game but but definitely the first example for sure cool that has been z-targeting we uh we're gonna move on real quick to part six which is just our final thoughts on this intro section Matt if you could wrap up this section of the game what we're calling chapter one of Ocarina of Time in one or two quick sentences what would they be um I would say it is an excellent Intro to mechanics and world building um, that sets us up for a um, emotional, mature adventure that we haven't, unlike anything we've experienced in Zelda previously. Definitely. I think that it distinguishes itself as one of the more succinct intro sections of any Zelda game. Some of the, especially... Your Twilight Princesses, your Skyward Swords, they get a little bit of flack for extending their introductory section way past probably what people wanted to – the amount of time people wanted to be playing it. I never particularly felt that way, but I know it's a recurring criticism. And this game, I don't think that its intro section overstays its welcome. Yep, it's it, it 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 establishes everything you need to know. It teaches you the mechanics that you need to know. It gets you directly into the meat of the gameplay, which is puzzle solving and dungeon elements. You fight a boss, you <laughs> you get a new heart if you're mm-hmm. playing the game that way, and it moves you briskly along to the next section of the game. It's it, it's 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 meat falling off the bone, you yep. know. I, one interesting thing I do want to call out: um, I'm not going to make a big habit of directly referencing all the differences between the N64 version and the 3DS version, but in this introductory section on the 3DS version, the DQ tree does mention. About the Sheikah shrine that mm-hmm. that is down next to Link's house, where you can kind of go and get hints if you need to. I've never personally used those in in a Zelda game. I've never felt, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I don't think that Zelda puzzle solving is generally complicated enough to need to use those. But uh it's there, it's there for you if you if you ever get lost. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. This has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. Matt, it's been a great time. We'll do it all again next week with another section of game. Uh, We're button up pretty close to the one-hour allotment that we're trying to keep these episodes within. I'm uh, personally—my whole thing is that as long as we can keep it between an hour and an hour and a half, then we're in a a pretty good place, I think. I definitely don't want to go over that, and it it might definitely— veer more into an hour and a half territory once we start having guests on the show and we have a third person perspective that we kind of want to yeah we'll we'll try to keep our uh, general uh thoughts succinct but meaningful yes is our goal definitely so uh, with all that being said moving past the main chunk the main meat of this episode there are a few things i want to uh i want to tie up before we Get out of here for the week. We are going to have a rotating news and releases section where we kind of get into some of the announcements that are going on around Zelda, if if it's appropriate to have that section in the episode. Uh, it's kind of all quiet on Zelda news at the moment. The two big things that have been announced recently are Skyward Sword HD, which is dropping in July. Which I am incredibly excited about. Both of us, I think, are very excited about that. That game is amazing. We have a lot of love for it. And I think a lot of the enhancements that they're giving it on Switch are going to give people room to enjoy it more than they might have on the Wii, where things might have been a little less polished. You know? Especially in terms of you know, the motion controls, the graphics. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Wii is, was an old system... Um, at the point that Skyward Sword came out, so, like, it felt like it was hard to take full advantage of what Skyward Sword wanted to do, as well as being held down by 420p graphics. Hey! Listen! Hey, guys, it's your friend Editing Mike again. Just a quick note of clarification, looked it up, and the original native resolution for Skyward Sword on the Wii was 480p, not 420. Um, being on the Switch, you're gonna get both of those limitations removed, and, Skyward Sword, if you've listened to our intro episode, is my personal favorite Zelda game that I've played, um, so I could not be more excited to, to get it on the Switch. Yep, Skyward Sword is not my personal favorite, but it is, I would say, in my top five, so I I love it, can't wait to replay it. It's due to come out, like, two weeks before, <laughs> before my wife is due to have our first child, so... Uh, that's going to be tricky, and we'll see. We'll see if I can make something happen there. The other big release news is that if you were uh, if you were one of the people who enjoyed Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity, it does have DLC coming out in June. Uh, I believe its DLC is scheduled to come out in two phases: one in June, and then another later in the year. So I think that's supposed to have extra missions, characters. Um, so if, if you were if you were into that game, then you're going to get a little bit more content for that. Matt and I both played it, and. I would say that I had a passably fun time with it. Yeah, I I haven't purchased it. Um, I played the demo for quite a few hours while I was on a business trip to Memphis on the plane in the hotel. Um, I had a good time with it. I don't generally uh, have a super fondness for those Dynasty Warriors type games. Um, It was fun. Probably something that I'll, you know, read the wiki article for the storyline and then just leave it at that for myself. I think that's fair. I beat it and I had a, a pretty good time with it. And I don't know that the prospect of DLC has me excited enough to jump back into it. We'll see. I don't know if it, if it gets rave reviews, then maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll give that another crack. I do love the the world that was created for Breath of the Wild. The Age of Calamity actually does interest me, which is why I will definitely be reading the um, story beats. Mm-hmm. But um, the just the play style, the game style that it has, so it's just not. I will, I don't love it. Sure, I will say that I thought I'm not a big fan of Muso style action games. Not I. I don't have anything against them, but I don't have any historical affinity for them. I haven't played them much, so I it didn't hook me in that from that perspective. But it does translate the mechanics and the world of Breath of the Wild very well into that type of game. I mean, like the abilities you have in Breath of the Wild, it it comes up with very cool analogs in gameplay for those in in like the combat of Hyrule Warriors. So. I thought that it was certainly not just a shameless cash grab. Um, if you if you are the kind of person who enjoys that sort of game and you like Breath of the Wild, then I'm sure that there's a whole lot there for you. It's it's well thought out and it's well made. I, I totally agree just with a little bit of the demo I played, thought it was was tastefully done. Yeah. OK. And then the last thing, just a reminder, we are technically now in the 35th anniversary year of The Legend of Zelda. What exactly that's going to mean going forward, we don't know. Nintendo did make a pretty big blowout out of Mario's 35th anniversary and certain industry insiders from reputable sites. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions out there on the internet, right? Like, uh, like, Oh, we're going to get links. Awakening style remakes of, of the Oracle games. Okay. I'm not whatever. Sure. Fine. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I believe that, Eh, but uh, people who have a proven track record of, Guessing things very correctly, have predictions about what we're going to get later this year. And so, yeah, just, you know, keep your ears, uh, keep your ears open. I expect us to be getting more news as we go into the back half of the year. We know we're going to get more news about Breath of the Wild's sequel. They've said we'll hear more about that this year. And if I were a betting man, I would say that we'll have a bit of a promotional marketing lead up to that game that does involve the 35th anniversary of Zelda. So maybe Matt and I will do a bonus episode just us two talking about things we'd like to see um, before the end of the year. Absolutely. While they're celebrating that. So that has been your weekly section for news and releases. Um, If we have anything more substantial in the future, uh, then expect to hear more about it on future episodes. Normally we would devote this section of the show to reading listener mail since this is our first episode and we're recording this at a time where the Patreon has not yet launched. We don't have any listener mail, but I do want to remind everybody that if you go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sacred realms pod, sword patrons and above can write into the show. We're going to read all of that. And um, even if we only get one, listener mail per week through that channel. Uh, that's the one we'll read. So, yeah, uh, go on there. Give us your opinions. Ask us questions. Um, yeah, just lay it on us. Matt, it's been a fun episode, huh? It has been a fun episode. It's <laughs> always fun. Are, are you ready to uh, to do this every week for the next Three years or however many. Yeah, I mean, I mean well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, maybe occasionally we do uh, mul- this do this multiple times a week, get some uh, nice bonus episodes going in. So at least we have fun. Yeah, I was going to say, I planned this out. I, I kind of looked at it and I just said, OK, if each game takes us an average of 10 episodes to completely cover with some taking more and some taking less then that's like three years of podcast content. So uh, we're just, we're in for the long haul here, guys. And I hope you're in, in it uh, with us. Yeah, just uh, it's gonna be, gonna be fun, gonna be a great time. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, head over to our Patreon and become a patron. Got no rupees, ain't no problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show and that makes us very happy Hylian's. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Ocarina of Time from Hyrule Field through Dodongo's Cavern. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Ocarina of Time can be played on the Nintendo 3DS or 2DS, and of course you can always break out your trusty old N64. In the meantime, may your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss. We'll catch you next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and GameChops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!